Blog Talk Radio. Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Calder with my co-host John Harlow as we bring you another great episode of Talking in Circles. We discussed the GoBowling.com 400 at Kansas Speedway. Kyle Busch won his 37th career NASCAR Sprint Cup Series race. Got a little lucky in the process. Uh, also, we talked about the NASCAR Camper World Truck Series race at Kansas Speedway. A little ongoing problem in the Truck Series as well. We'll discuss that. And a big topic for us tonight is the All-Star Race. What do we think of its new format? What do we think of the changes? Should there be more changes? We'll discuss all of that, and we'll preview the triple header weekend at Dover Downs International Speedway this weekend. But, John, first let's talk about it. The Kansas Speedway, uh, GoBowling.com 400, a race that was completely dominated by, by um, Martin Truex Jr. until he had to pit for a loose wheel late, on, late in the run, uh, was never able to go out and get uh, the track position, he needed to go up and win and win the race, but heartbreak for Martin Truex Jr., who ran such a great race, had such a fast race car, sat on the pole, did everything he needed to do to win, but his team kind of let him down there with a loose wheel with uh, with under uh, 50 to go. Well, I was watching uh, Race Hub last night, and Larry Mack actually went through, and they showed it, and it wasn't, it was, I mean, the, the wheel wound up being loose, but it was a mechanical issue that caused it. So they had something in the... I think it was in the axle that wound up messing it up and causing it to where it ended up stripping and having a problem. So it was more mechanical than a failure on the pit crew. Um, but Truex was on a rail. One of the things that I think we noticed with the Kansas race, and this was something that all of the pundits were sort of pointing to, was the mile and a half in the intermediate tracks that they've ran so far, Atlanta, the pavement shot, California, the pavement shot. Vegas is starting to wear. But Kansas has the best grip of the bunch because it's the most recently repaved mile and a half. And it was almost back to follow the leader. Everybody gets strung out. There wasn't a whole lot of racing toward the front. There was some racing mid-pack, but there wasn't stuff toward the front. And part of that is because I think the if you leave the engineers crew chiefs and mechanics to their will, they're going to find a way to get all of that downforce back through mechanical grip or something like that. The only time you really saw the low downforce play into any kind of how the race went was when Hamlin decided to go three wide in turn four, and without anybody touching each other, him and Keselowski spun themselves out because the air was taken off and Logano had nowhere to go. So that's the only time you really saw a low downforce came in to come into play. Everything else was pretty much your typical old mile-and-a-half track where there's downforce and everything. So they're, the mechanics are winning the battle versus NASCAR right now. Yeah, and it was an interesting race because this is the, one of the races here that um, it's, it's in the chase. And I think there was a lot of teams, Hendrick Motorsports definitely, I believe, we're out kind of experimenting with the setups. And I agree with you. I didn't think it was a great race this weekend. I thought the tire that Goodyear brought here wasn't very good. And they've tried this multi-zone, multi-tread, whatever you want to call it, tire combination in the past. And it's, it hasn't gotten great reviews. They tried it again here at Kansas. And I really didn't like it. I thought it was uh, something that just, you know, it it, it didn't go wear into the racetrack. It didn't give the drivers, a, a, you know, it was just kind of – Blah, and they've hit the, they've hit the nail on the head a lot this year. Good year, I thought the racing. We talked about Richmond uh, last week. Richmond was phenomenal with the, how the tire wore, and everybody was happy with that. But I thought this weekend at Kansas, the tire wear wasn't great. We didn't see a lot of fall off. We didn't see a great tire there. And I think that really contributed as well. But also the fact that I think there was a lot of teams just kind of hanging out. I think Hendrick Motorsports was one of them. There's no doubt that Hendrick Motorsports is behind Joe Gibbs Racing right now. I think everybody will agree with that. I mean. Look at what happened this weekend. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. in a Joe Gibbs affiliated car has a problem, and who wins but a Joe Gibbs racing car? So uh, it just shows you the kind of stranglehold they have on this sport right now. And I think Hendrick Motorsports is out there trying to do something, knowing that they're behind, saying the only way we're going to win a championship here is if we figure out something new. Obviously what happened at Kansas Speedway didn't work. Hendrick really struggled, and I think when you take those Hendrick cars out of play, it kind of became a one-team show there 
with Truex, and, and I think Kevin Harvick ran okay too, but um, again, it's just something is behind with these Chevrolet teams right now, with the, and it's kind of been a Toyota dominance here the first uh, couple of races in the season. One of the things, if you think about it, Toyota has five major cars that they're dealing with. Yeah, they have the BK Racing cars, but they're not really focused in getting Toyota manufacturer support. Right. Toyota has their eggs in the Joe Gibbs racing basket. And when you're focused on five teams and Chevy's trying to put out 17 teams, you've got <laughs> the four of Hendrick, the four of Stuart Haas, you've got the three at Childress. There's 11 quality teams right there. Throw in the two from uh, Chip Ganassi with Felix Sabatis. There's 13 teams and right there. Mm-hmm. Dinger and um, Casey Mears, Casey Mears and uh, Regan Smith attached to Childress, so they're 16. That's almost half the field that Chevy is trying to put a quality product into. Yeah, you get a lot of numbers from it, but you're also spreading yourself thin. Toyota can look at it and say, we're going to go balls to the wall supporting these five teams. And Toyota's probably putting as much, if not more, money into those five teams than Chevy's putting into the other 16. Absolutely. I think Harvick had something for Kyle Busch at the end if he didn't hit something on the track. Harvick yeah, was really, coming. Yeah, I noticed it screwed up his valence there at the end. Uh, and these cars are so aerodynamically sensitive now uh, that that does, a, that does a huge, huge... Uh, it hurts It hurts the car. It greatly impacts the way the car runs. Uh, 917-889-8280 if you want to join the show here tonight on Talking Circles. Uh Let's talk about the, the GoBowling.com 400. A couple of, of, of good runs. You know, we talked about Kyle Busch winning. Harvick was second. Third place run for Kurt Busch. But the best run of the year for Matt Kenseth. Kenseth really, to me, John, he went out, and I think he, he talked to Joey Logano on the phone. Uh, this was the race here a year ago in, the, in October that Kenseth got suspended, and he had a problem with Joey Logano, and it just seemed like everything, uh, well, you know, obviously got suspended at Martinsville, but this is where it all began was Kansas with the issue with Joey Logano. They have a talk after Talladega, calls on the phone, and I don't think it's a coincidence. Matt Kenseth goes out and has his best weekend so far in 2016. I think he's put the Joey Logano situation behind him, and he's run really, really good. I think it was a good step in the right direction for that 20 team because as good as Joe Gibbs Racing has been, we've seen some flashes of brilliance. The 11 car, one of the Daytona has won a couple of races this year. Kyle Busch has won a couple of races this year. Um, we've seen um, Carl Edwards win some races this year. We haven't seen anything from that 20 team, so a step in the right direction. And obviously, Truex led 172 laps this weekend at uh, at Kansas, but we haven't seen a whole lot from Matt Kenseth. So I think this was definitely a, right, a step in the right direction for that 20 team this weekend, John. I think we've seen Kenseth running toward the front. It's just the racing gods were mad at him because he took Joey out at Martinsville last year. I think one of the things where it, keep, it keeps brewing and Kenseth had to do something this week to talk to Joey or he would have just let it stir. And Logano, he's a cocky kid. And Kenseth was not happy that Logano ran him below the yellow line whenever he was moving toward the front at Talladega. And it wound up sh- shuffling him back and he lost the momentum he had and wound up getting in the middle of the mess of the big wreck down there. And that's what made Kenseth mad. And when Ken's is saying something to you, he's a veteran of the sport. Logano's a veteran of the sport. They should just say, okay, this is what I was trying to do. I didn't mean to do whatever. Instead of just turning around, smirking, and then looking away again while Ken's is still talking to you. If there's one way to piss off Matt Kenseth, that's it. Don't listen to him. I mean, he'll talk to you. He's a pretty good communicator, between the other drivers. I mean, you don't ever see Kenseth have many troubles with many people. He had the one with Gordon where Gordon pushed him, but that's it. I mean, Kenseth has always been the quiet. He's there at the end. He doesn't ruffle a lot of feathers. But when you piss him off, you're his enemy. And he showed it last year at Martinsville. I think Kenseth did the, um, took the high road by calling Logano saying, hey, this is what I had the problem with. We need to talk when these things happen instead of just smirking, blah, blah, blah. And maybe Logano will grow up out of it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think it's a step in the right direction for both drivers because even if Logano's upset about something, they say, you know what, we kind of started with a clean slate. 
when we shook hands and, and everything. And I think it's a great step in the right direction, like I said, for Kenseth this weekend. I thought he ran really good his best weekend. For once, the attention wasn't on him and Joey Logano. It was on how Matt Kenseth can perform. And I think you're going to see a different Matt Kenseth from here on out. And he could be a threat this weekend at Dover, no doubt about it, because that's one of his best racetracks. And like I said, Joe Gibbs Racing kind of has a stranglehold on the sport right now. Uh, a young driver, John, I was really impressed with, finishing the fifth spot, ran the top ten, top five all day long. I thought he was the best Penske car the whole weekend. It was Ryan Blaney. Uh, this is a young kid who has a lot, a lot of talent. Uh, his dad was, you know, had a, we had a scare over the weekend that something happened to his father, uh, but his dad turned out to be okay in, in a wreck um, in, a, in a sprint car. But I'll tell you what, uh, his his dad was a great race car driver, never won a cup race, but was was a very talented race car driver. And we know about Ryan Blaney's talent. It's just a matter of harnessing it and, and getting it together. And here he is at Kansas Speedway, one of the tracks he's got a lot of cup experience on because the Wood Brothers and his 21 team have run here in the last couple of years. And it was good to see Ryan Blaney really go out and perform because we've known the talent's been there, but he hasn't performed like we all thought he was going to. He's been kind of near the back end of the top 15 uh, recently, and here he is in the top five run really good. It was nice to see him have a solid weekend this weekend. I think part of that was that drive was driven by Dave Blaney. Because he said uh, after the race that he talked to his dad that morning, the wreck that Blaney had at Eldora was a lot of roof sky ground, roof sky ground. I mean, the wing was just totally smashed. The car was in one piece. He got his bell rung a little bit, but he was, I mean, Ryan said he was joking with him in the morning that he's back to being typical Dave Blaney, that he's a little sore. And that's what's going to happen when you do five, six flips and then end up on your roof. But Dave Blaney is one of those guys. One of the things that he did, Dave Blaney was a heck of a driver, still is, can drive a sprint car with anybody. One of the things Dave Blaney had a problem with, he didn't come to NASCAR until he was pushing 30. Mm-hmm. Ryan Blaney started young, and Dave didn't let him on the dirt like he was. He put him on asphalt to begin with, so that way he could start his career sooner instead of trying to go to the cup level at the age of 30. Ryan is a great driver. That kid has a ton of talent, and Roger Penske was no dummy by signing him really early. Yeah, and I tell you, this is without a charter, and I know you can say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter because we haven't had 40, more than 40 cars down, and, and that's correct. It, it, we haven't had more than 40 cars down, but they're doing it at half the budget. These teams have been running that, too, so you've got to keep that in mind as well. With the Wood Brothers, they, they run with Motorcraft. That sponsors them. They've got a few other sponsors that help them out through the rest of the year, but it was refreshing to see Ryan Blaine. Like I said, we all know the talent's been there, but it's been kind of a head-scratcher saying, well, maybe he's going to these tracks for the first time. The luck hasn't really been there as well, so it was nice to see him run in the top five all weekend. It was well-deserved. Austin Dillon, one another thing, solid one. One thing, one thing when you said about the budget thing when it comes to Roger Penske, budget has never been an issue with Roger Penske. If you remember whenever Sprint became the sponsor and uh, Altel became Verizon, he ran that car with Brad Keselowski whenever he ran the 12 car that year with no sponsor. I mean, he was getting some money from Verizon. He was wearing, putting the Verizon sponsorship on his Indy car, but he ran that 12 car sponsorless most of the year. There was nothing yeah. on it other than the Verizon colors but no logo. So Roger, if he believes in the talent, will pay for it out of his own pocket. It's not like Penske has – I mean, he can set money on fire – and have no problem with it because he's got billions of dollars. I mean, he's probably the richest owner in the sport. But when you look at it, if he sees talent, he will invest it in himself, and he will fund it out of pocket if he needs to. And I think the sponsorship that the Wood Brothers get from Motorcraft is fine. The support they get from Ford is fine. But I think there's a lot of money out of Roger Penske's pocket that's putting him in a car as equal to as Brad and Logano have. Yeah, and it's finally been good to see him, you know, this weekend run really good. And I think, uh, you know, the fact that he's had a lot of experience on this track uh, really helped him. 917-889-8280 for anybody who want to join the show here on Talking in Circles. Um, a nice sixth-place run for Austin Dillon, like I mentioned. Uh, seventh place for Ryan Newman. Eighth, A.J. Allmendinger. Ninth, Chase Elliott. And Brad Kislavski <laughs> should top ten. Uh, Dillon's really turned a corner here, John. You know, um, uh He's really run really strong, and he's been far and away the best RCR car this season, no doubt about it. We saw Ryan Newman kind of have a good weekend as well, where he struggled this weekend, uh, this season, I should say, 17th in points, Newman. But uh, Austin Dillon's a solid eighth. 
he's really run good, and it's and maybe this kid's finally hit on something here, where he's starting to turn a corner and he can make the chase and show that he belongs in a Sprint Cup series. I think one of the big key to Austin Dillon becoming the driver that he's turning into, because for the longest time everybody was saying he's just in the ride because he's got Papa funding it. He's got solid sponsorship from Dow and Cheerios and American Ethanol. It's not like he just, Richard Childress is pulling money out of the winery and putting it into the race team. He also has Slugger Labby. Mm. And Slugger Labby has won with Dale Jr. He's won with Mikey. And let's put it this way, Mikey isn't that great unless you put him on a restrictor plate. He's won with everybody he's crew chief for. Slugger Labby is a smart guy. He also communicates well with Austin Dillon. When Austin decides to throw the uh, spoiled grandson routine in the, in the cockpit whenever he's on the radio, Slugger will tell him to shut the hell up. Do what I tell you to. This is when we're going to pit. Find a way to ride it out and save your tires, save your car. And it's almost, I mean, it's it's hard to put it this way, but if you think about it, it almost seems like the Harry Hogg, Cole Trickle relationship from Days of Thunder. That he's finally got the crew chief that can talk him down off the ledge. He's got the crew chief who knows how to build a race car that can win, and they're starting to show the success. Ryan Newman, it was nice to see him have a good run because they have struggled all year. Luke Lambert, they give him a lot of credit for being a pretty good crew chief. He hasn't won a race yet on top of the pit box. Whenever he had Jeff Burton in the seat, now third year with Ryan Newman, still no victories for Luke Lambert on top of the pit box. They're relatively consistent, but they're nothing to write home about. And sooner or later, you almost got to think, when does that switch happen? Because Newman can win races. You give him the right equipment, Newman can win. And I don't think he's getting the right stuff with Luke Lambert. There's something missing there. And there's still a really good crew chief sitting back playing the director of competition for Xfinity in Gil Martin. Gil Martin can be back on the pit box sooner or later. I don't think Gil was the right fit for Austin Dillon because they basically swapped out Harvick for Austin. It didn't fit. I can see Gil Martin back on the box with Ryan Newman. I I, I think that's definitely a possibility. And another driver who you can see, and, you know, it was brought to my attention. I didn't realize how tough of a year Paul Menard's had. He's had three DNFs this year, and I think this had a lot to do with a lot of bad luck. But he hasn't run great this year. And Slugger Labby, if you remember correctly, won a race with Paul Menard, and he was around for a long time. And Menard and Slugger really ran good together. Menard had his best years under Slugger Labby, and they moved him out. And he had a decent year last year, made the chase, did well. But this year they seem to be a little bit off. And it's going to take, you know, Menard, you sit there and you look at the point standings right now. He's 23rd in points. And you're going to kind of scratch your head and say he's kind of on that cusp right now where you sit there and you go, I'm not sure he's going to make the chase right now based on his points. He's going to have to pull off a win. Um, and you have to wonder, too, if him and Justin Alexander, uh, if, the, if something's not up there because uh, it's been a tough year for Pulmonar this year, no doubt about it. He usually gets off to a wonderful, wonderful start in the Spring Cup Series. It seems like every year he starts in the top ten in points and then he starts to fizzle out towards the end of the year. Uh, but this year hasn't been the case. He's right now 11 races into the season. He's 23rd in points. So it's been a tough start for Pulmonard, too. He had another finish last this weekend at Kansas after an accident. Uh, another tough weekend f- for Pulmonard, and it just seems like you know three DNFs, that's the most, almost the most of his career in through 11 races this year. So uh, kind of a, 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 a tough year for Menard as well. Somebody else I want to touch on, John, um, as we move along here in the show, is Tony Stewart. Uh, led 12 laps. He led, obviously, through pit sequences, uh, through the pit stops towards the end of the race. Right now, Tony Stewart, th- uh, through three races, because he gets credited with the start of Ty Dillon at Talladega, sits 37th in points. Uh, and if I'm trying to do quick math, he's about, uh, let me see here, he's about 60, I'd say 59 points off of 30th right now uh, with Regan Smith here. And obviously, we have a long way to go till Richmond. Um, but a nice, solid 12th-place run, led a lap, got that extra point here as we move forward, uh, which, could be de- which could be huge 
the points to lead some laps here. Dover was his last win, if you remember correctly. Uh, it was this race three years ago. Tony Stewart pulled off a win. Kind of got lucky because Jimmy Johnson got caught of uh, jumping a restart. He beat Juan Pablo Montoya uh, on a restart, Tony Stewart, and he won the race. That was his last win here. So your thoughts on Tony Stewart these last couple of weeks, and uh, what, are your chan- what do you think his chances are to make the chase here in 2016? I think Tony Stewart, we're starting to see a little bit of the old Tony Stewart back. Take away some of the downforce, put it in the driver's hands. You saw him coming out of the car at Richmond. You would have thought he was a dog with a stake tied around his neck. He was just so happy being back in the car where he has control of where he goes. There's multiple grooves. You're searching to find the right spot, and it's in the driver's hands, not the mechanical grip that they're putting in it. I think at Kansas, he played his card the best he could. I think he was a 15th place car, but... Again, he's two races in, coming off of major back surgery. I think he's doing fine with where he's at. I think the more stamina, the more he gets used to the car, the more he gets used to um, dealing with crew chief Mike Bogoravich, I think they're going to be really good in the hot, in the summer, which is Stewart territory. Don't count him out from winning one of the road courses. I mean, he's probably the best road course driver still on the circuit anymore now that Jeff Gordon's retired. I mean, you've got Allmendinger, but I mean, he grew up on a road course, so Allmendinger's always fast. But other than A.J., who grew up on the road courses in the open wheels, Stewart's probably the best road course racer that's still on the track, him and probably Kurt Busch. I think Stewart wins one of the road course races. I see him easily getting into the top 30. I mean, he's three races in, he gave up eight, and he's only 59 out of um, – 30th that's three good races where he finishes in the top 10 and the guys in the 30th finishes in the 30th spot he's picking up 20 points a race he's back in 30th he could be back there by the time we hit daytona in july and that's another place to look out for him because stewart at daytona in july you can count on him being near the front i agree and i think um that is definitely there's certain races nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero if you want to join the conversation on anything we talked about you want to talk about dover you want to talk about kansas join the conversation at nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero but i think you're right there are certain tracks where tony stewart really runs good at now i i think the road courses are definitely one i think another one is going to be indianapolis because this is his final year we all are well aware that's his hometown track that's the place he idolizes and i guarantee you those guys at the shop are working on a car that you sit there and they say, we're going to take a car. It might even be a little bit of R&D at Pocono, which is a similar track, to see if they hit the best setup at Indianapolis. Indianapolis are going to throw a ton of resources into that race. I have a big feeling you're going to see Tony Stewart try and win Indianapolis this year. Uh, but I definitely think Johnny's going to finish in a top 30 in points. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind he's going to do that, barring some major collapses where the team wrecks a lot or they have a lot of mechanical failures. Um, I'm not sure he's going to win. And I'll be honest with you, I think right now, the part of the reason is because right now when you look at this team and you look at where they are, and I, we've talked about this at nauseum, is right now they are way behind the Joe Gibbs racing cars. I think Joe Gibbs is number one. I think Hendrick Motorsports is number two. And I think Stuart Haas fizzles in there somewhere between number three. Uh, and then you got the Penske guys who probably are in there too, and you can argue within there too. So um, it's definitely he's definitely improved. I mean, last year if he finished 12th at a racetrack – we would have probably been throwing a party for him because that's a pretty dang good run for him. That was probably his best weekend all year long at 12th last year, how disastrous of a year last year was. This year, 12th place run, everybody's saying, well, he can improve on that. But I just think there's a big difference between running 12th and dominating races and leading laps. And I don't know if that Stuart Haas racing team can make up the ground. He's still eight races behind everybody with his new with his new lower downforce package. And I think he's behind to start the season, no doubt about it. I would like to see it. I think it would be a great story. I think it would be great for NASCAR to see Tony Stewart win a race in his final season and make this chase. But I just think with right now with the sport, unless Hendrick Motorsports somehow in their engine department makes huge, huge gains, I just don't see it happening. I just don't see him winning races. Uh, and, and it's unfortunate, but I just, you know, a road course you're right on, and I think Indianapolis. But other than those three, maybe Daytona in July for sure, because Daytona is always a crapshoot. But uh, those four races, I'm not sure. You know, Everywhere else, I'm not sure what we're going to see from Tony Stewart. I really don't. The one thing when you look at Indianapolis that I see as a great opportunity is 
Tony Stewart hates tire testing. Guess who did the tire test at Indy? <laughs> Tony, Tony Stewart. Stewart. Tony Stewart, if there's a race he wants to win, it is the Brickyard. The only other ones that really he would die, I mean, he would love to win because he hasn't won at Darlington yet, and he would have loved to have won the Daytona 500. Those are the, I mean, Kentucky would be nice because that's on the list that he hasn't won yet at, but Darlington, because of the history of the track, Daytona for the Daytona 500, but you're right, going home, if he can win at the Brickyard in his final race at the Brickyard, you know he's going to put every resource possible. I bet you Matt Borland sitting there with all the F1 guys whenever they get a break, they're looking at every possible piece of engineering, every possible piece of aerodynamics to make sure that 14 car qualifies well and runs well at Indianapolis. That that you can bank on. Stewart at the road course, I mean, when you say the Toyotas have the engine and everything going well right now, that's one of the things. The road course, take that variable out because there's only so much engine you can deal with on the road course. There's only so much aerodynamics. Road course is how well you can drive the car going left and right. That is a driver. The road course is mostly all about the driver. You have to have the position to be there, but the driver is what's the key to making a road course race successful. That's where I can <coughs> excuse me, see the difference where Stewart and the Hendrick Power can catch up to Joe Gibbs. And don't think the folks in the Hendrick engine shop aren't up right now trying to find three, four, five horsepower that they're losing to the Gibbs cars. Well, we know that, and you know, I think we saw all teams are. I think uh, we saw some something out of the, um, the Roush Fenway stables where Trevor Bain had a blown engine. That could have been them trying the limits here, testing the limits there as well. So all of that, I think, is interesting because I think all teams are doing that as well. Uh, we had a Toyota Tundra 250 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series race at Kansas this weekend as well. Um, it was a race won by William Byron, a young kid from Nakabush Motorsports Stables. Uh, his first career win, he beat out Matt Crafton and Christopher Bell, his teammate. Um, in the fourth position came uh, I'm sorry, Daniel Hemrick was third. Fourth was Christopher Bell. Then you had Clint Boyer, Ryan Truex, Cole Custer, Timothy Peters, Ben Kennedy, and Spencer Gallagher, your top ten. A um, couple of interesting t- tidbits. Um, Parker Klugman, who was high in points coming into the race, he crashed his truck now sits um tenth in the points uh another driver who was high in points start to start the season and is really um now in a in a in a bind is uh, jordan anderson anderson crashed as well on lap 82 so there were some in- incidences there as well and right now the way it looks like john jordan anderson and parker kligman are not going to be able and kligman runs for uh ricky benton racing enterprises reb uh, rate r B.E. Enterprises uh, for the 92 truck, and Jordan Anderson runs basically Jeff Boland and Boland Motorsports' this team as well. But the trucks they brought to Kansas, they were going to bring to Dover. They tore them up. Um, they're not on the entry list. They, they might not come to Dover this weekend. That's a, little, that's a shame because Kligman is very high in points, especially when you put the chase in there as well. He was a guy I think a lot of people have a lot of faith in, and that wreck really hurt this team. And I, I just my question to you is, John, where I'm going with this is, now, I saw something on social media this week where a lot of people were talking about the schedule for the Camping World Truck Series because obviously the schedule was released for the camp, for the Cup Series and the Xfinity Series for next year. The Camping World Truck Series schedule was released as well, but um, I'm sure it was, I don't think it's concrete. I think they kind of just got like a uh, kind of an overview on it right now. But a lot of people were saying they should have more races in the Truck Series, and I was I was appalled by that because I think right now what you look at is a lot of these teams like the Kligerman team, are running trucks that are that are older and, and basically going a race-by-race deal. And having three races early in the season, you know, they only, had, they only had three races in the first ten weeks. And now they're going to do a bunch in a row here. And I think this hurts this 92 team in the, in the 60-16 of Jordan Anderson. Uh, your thoughts there, John, on, on what do you think about the truck series schedule? Do you like the way it is? Do they run too many races? Should they add more races on a truck series? I think 24 is about right because of the funding that they get to put those trucks together. The problem with 
the t- way the schedule's set up, like you said, they run three in the first ten. So you get a week, then you get two, three weeks off, you rebuild whatever you messed up, then you have another couple weeks off, and then you're running again, then you're running again. And now here you are, you're in a five, six-race stretch, and they don't have the resources to do it. They don't have the staff. It's not like they have 250, 300 people at Joe Gibbs Racing where they total one car, they still got 10 more sitting on the lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, Klingerman, that truck was that truck. That's what they have. And they're going to try to rebuild it the best they can. He said they might not even make it to Charlotte. And that's how it how tough it is with these low-budget teams. I mean, NASCAR has to look at it and say, what kind of product do we have? Is it something we can maintain? And at this point, it isn't something they can maintain at the schedule they've built. If they're going to do 24 races, spread them out amongst the 38 weeks where they have, instead of five races in a row, they do every other week. That's yeah, just, I, I mean, for what they have for funding, staffing, it's almost impossible to keep up with it. You're going to see the same four teams up there. You're going to see Kyle Busch Motorsports. You're going to see Keselowski up there. You're going to see Thor Sport up there. And you may see a fourth team come out. I mean, the Junior Motorsports team will be up there with Cole Custer. That's going to be it. I mean, the fact that John Hunter Nemechek has stayed as far up as he has. Whenever they get down to the stretch where they keep running through, and if John Hunter has a couple wrecks where they have, I don't know how many trucks Joe Nemechek has sitting in the shop over there. He's building it out of his own pocket. So there's not a whole lot sitting there. There's not a whole lot of crew that can go back and rebuild a truck in a week. So it's what they can do to sustain the series. They have to take a serious look at it. And as I said last week, we have, NASCAR needs to really take a hard look in the mirror because I don't know how sustainable the sport's going to be in 10, 15 years. They're not building the farm system because the farm system, they're bringing, it's like you're bringing the Red Sox down to play at Pawtucket on a day they have off. So there's no chance to build up the farm system. And then when you're starting, you're, you lose a starting pitcher, where do you bring them up from? You're going to have the you had the retirement of Gordon. You had Chase Elliott ready. You have the retirement of Stewart. Stewart wanted Kyle Larson, but he got Boyer. Mm-hmm. Boyer's only going to be there another three, four years. He's in. He's pushing forty. You've got Harvick pushing forty. The bench isn't there. And when you try to build the bench, which the Truck Series is turning into, you have a couple veterans like Johnny Sauter. But you have a lot of young guys coming up who are trying to build their career, but they don't have the staff, the funding, or the teams that put together something they can sustain over a 10-race-in-a-row span or a five-race-in-a-row span. They need to spread the races out. 24 is probably about right, but I think they need to spread it out over the 38 weeks instead of three weeks out of 10. Then we're going to run a bunch. Then we're going to take a few more weeks off. Then we're going to run a bunch again. I don't think they have the staff or the or the equipment to do it. Yeah, it's interesting because, like I said, it's just um, it, it was something that got a lot of flack on Twitter this week. I thought, you know, I, I, I like having the races spread out there early in the season because I think it gives teams that maybe don't have the opportunity to run. They say, you know what, we can run three races quick in the season. If we're high in points, you know, we can run the rest of the way. But uh, it's unfortunate if, if, you know, both drivers are on the entry list, Jordan Anderson and Parker Klugman on Dover, by the way, but it's unfortunate if they can't make Charlotte – and stuff like that will be really unfortunate. I think it, it stinks for them. But this truck series is very interesting. There's a lot of drivers out there who could make this chase. You look at the point standings right now. Ryan Truex is third in points. Tyler Young is fourth in points. And Tyler Young is a guy who I don't think a lot of people had a whole lot of faith in him to make the chase this year. He's only got one top ten finish, but he's fourth in the point standings. And if you look at a, a lot of drivers, and I know uh, Johnny Sauter's won a race, so he's in a chase, but he's 16th in points. Tyler Reddick is only 15th in the points. Rico Abreu is 17th in points. Christopher Bell is 14th in points. Those are all drivers who everybody thought were going to have big years in the truck series this year, and they've kind of fizzled out here. So John West Townley's 20th as well. So um, a lot of drivers. Cole Custer, 19th in the points with only one top 10 finish and two DNFs. So uh, the truck series, very, very interesting. Uh, as we move forward here to Dover, they got a triple-header weekend this weekend at Dover, Camping World Truck, NASCAR Xfinity, and NASCAR Cup Series, obviously, Spring Cup Series race at Dover. Uh, something else that, that made the headlines this weekend, John, that I want to talk about is 
the all-star race format. Uh, a lot of fun because I think a lot of people have speculated what was going on with this, what can be done, but let's give a, a rundown here real quick. Uh, for the all-star race, now there's obviously the spread showdown, which we'll get to, which went into a little bit of a uh, change as well, but the all-star race format, the main event has, is two 50-lap segments and then a three- to five-minute break in between each segment. After the second 50-lap segment, there will be a random draw for the last uh, segment, and it will determine whether or not the top 9, 10, or 11 cars will pit for a, four, a mandatory four-tire pit stop, um, and they will, they will come in behind uh, the drivers who stayed on a racetrack. So almost like a, an inversion-type deal like we used to see. That last segment is uh, 13 laps, by the way, so... Kind of an interesting deal here, John, about the all-star race format. Uh, two 50-lap segments, and then the, a random draw decides whether the top 9, 10, or 11 cars pit for a mandatory four-tire pit stop. They will go behind the cars that stayed on the racetrack. Your thoughts on that in the sprint all-star race, the new format this year? I think it's an interesting idea that Brad Keselowski had. It's interesting that NASCAR took a driver's idea instead of something that the fan council decided or something that TV decided, I think it's interesting that they listened to Brad's idea. Mm. It's out of the box. It's different than normal. The key to this race is going to be the tire that Goodyear brings. If they bring a hard tire where it doesn't matter if you change tires or not, you're still going to run the same lap speed. You're basically going to have everybody fighting to be 13th at the end of the 50 laps, second 50-lap segment. You're going to f- have everybody fighting to figure out how we can get toward the back because that's going to put us closer to the front for the final 13 laps. And for the final 13 laps, I mean, basically these are throwaway cars. So the guys who are in, who have to pit, they're going to do everything they can. So it has every, has every possibility of being Talladega Jr., where... <laughs> Everybody's going to pile them up, and we're going to figure out whoever the last person standing is going to win the million bucks. That's what it's going to turn into. It's either going to be you race the 15th, so that way you can start up front because the tire fall-off isn't bad, or for coming from the back, doing everything they can to get to the front, and it's not going to make a difference because somebody's going to wiggle and somebody's going to pile up. You could have another incident like Hamlin had at Kansas where you're trying to go three wide. It takes the air off anybody. Nobody hits each other. They're spinning, and that's where the wreck comes from because the air's taken off. The first 50-lap segment, you're going to be able to tell where they're going to run, if they're going to run for the win or if they're going to run for 15th place. That's where you'll be able to tell it. Well, I think it's interesting too, John, because um, I liked I liked two segments. I thought we had it with the way we did it, and I four segments we had there. It was craziness. I thought the math that you had to do with drivers being out, all that was ridiculous. I thought it, I thought this format, you know, fans sitting there. I don't think fans want to be sitting there with a calculator going, "What's going on here?" But if you tell them, you know, hey, basically you run, and, and I'm sure there's going to be some kind of money incentive to, for these guys to win that second segment. Um, but there's a mandatory pit stop for at least two tires. Uh, before lap 85, so basically it's it's two segments, 100 laps, but you can't pit after lap 85, which makes an interesting wrinkle because you're going to wonder if some of these teams that are running their 16th spot say, you know what, we'll get our tires right now, stay out there and uh, take our two tires, and then we're going to stay out when we have fresher tires. So it's going to add a really big wrinkle into that. I love it, John. I think this is going to be fantastic. You really, I think the first segment too. You really want to work on your car for the long run because if you're on older tires, especially if you're toward the rear field, if you're on older tires, you're going to try and figure out what makes your car better there. And I, I just think um, it just didn't make much sense the way we did it in years past, where we had you know a 50, a 20, and a 10 like like that. It was just kind of like, well, I understand we're only running 10 laps, so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense here. But to me, it makes a lot of sense because you're sitting there going, okay. You know, you really got to get your car in a long run, and if you're in a 13, if you on have, you know, uh, 28 laps on your tires, it's a pretty long run, so you better get your car handling pretty good to where you may be able to compete with drivers who are four tires, who have four tires, plus the fact that um, those drivers who are fast won't have the track position anymore, so they're going to have to pass people, um, and, and that makes it really exciting, makes it really interesting, and like you said, it always adds for drama, and you 
you could see a a, a a surprise winner to this race. You could see a a regular guy win this race. It, it just to me it makes it really interesting. And if the fans are going to like it, um, obviously if you're a driver who wins the first two segments and then you have to pit for four tires and you restart in like 15th, you might not be too thrilled. But I think at the end of the day, you sit there and go, okay, I'd rather win it on the racetrack. I'd rather win it and get, put it in my guy's hands. Four fresh tires, give me four fresh eagles, and I'm going to pass all these guys in front of me. I think it makes it really interesting. And, and um, I like, I love what they've done, John. I think you're right. Listen to Kozlowski. Um, I don't know if, if the people, the brass, had would have thought of this idea, but I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see. I'm excited about it. I think it has every chance to either be phenomenal or blow up in their faces. <laughs> and that's, I mean, again, it depends on what tire Goodyear brings. Um, and this is one of those ones, it can also be a momentum builder. Look at that first year of Stuart Haas Racing. They were respectable, they were decent, until Tony won the All-Star Race. That was the first win for the company. They went out and won two more regular season races that year and wound up in the chase the first year with Tony Stewart behind the wheel. They built momentum off of that all-star race. Looking at the weather for Charlotte on May 21st, 82 and sunny, and it's going to be a low of 65. So it's going to be warm enough, but as it cools down, the track will get tighter and everything. But during that first segment, it's still going to be sunny. It's still going to be warm. The track's still going to have some temperature in it. So they're going to be moving around a little bit, getting, finding different lines. But as that night goes on, it could turn one groove because of the grip that they're building into these cars, and they're finding ways to keep getting it and getting it. And I think also, it's, it, I don't know if it's going to be a um, a sort of a test session anymore. I really don't. I just think, you know, a lot of teams went there, like, you know, uh, who might not think they had a shot at winning that race, but now they're going to have a chance at it. I think they're really going to sit there and go, you know what, even if I'm 15th, and they're not going to, you know, if I'm 11th, I'm sitting there going, I've been 11th all day, but I, I can get the track position, and, hey, I'm going to go up there, I'm going to try and make it work. I don't think it's a test session, per se, for some of these teams who might think they have a shot at it. I think it's going to be good to see. Um, are there any, you know, before we get to the sprint showdown format changes, are there any more changes, John, that you would like to see to this? Uh, do you think they can make this a little bit better? What What do you think? Do you think you could do? they could do uh, a little bit better here for this all-star race? It's tough to figure that out because we've seen, what, 10 different formats for it now? <laughs> and it just, I mean, you notice the fans, it used to be the All-Star Race had more people at it than the Coke 600. You used to could, The All-Star Race used to be a tougher, tougher seat to get. Now... Again, back to like we've been saying, there's a lot of fans disguised as aluminum seats whenever the race comes up. I don't know how they can make it better. Unless, I mean, one of the things I would, to be honest with you, my favorite way would be the all-star race. Bring what you built. <laughs> whatever you think you can, whatever you want to build, as long as it passes the safety requirements, go get them. That'd be interesting. Like they did with the T-Rex car. Yeah. I mean, you look, they changed the entire rule book because that car was in such the line of the gray area toward out of bounds. I say throw the rule book out for this race except for safety measures. Let's see how creative they can be. Now, granted, it's only a million bucks to win, but it's the pride of it, winning at home, winning the all-star race. Then you see the creativity in the team's you see the cars doing everything they possibly could do. That would be something cool to see. Whatever you bring, you drive. Yeah. Good luck. Uh, it would it would be interesting for sure. I think uh you know, I've heard a lot of changes, John, but I, I never heard the the funny thing was and, and um I I personally like the fact that we have the same cars that we run in, in the uh season in the all star race. Um, but it would be interesting to see them open up the rule book. I think they need to do that anyway, a little bit more. But um, I, I really, and I'm not trying to say that you know this is the greatest thing ever. But I'm I'm really curious to see how this format's going to work because I love it. I think some some of the changes they made, you sit there and you go, 
to me, it just the drivers passing each other. That's what people like to see. So if you put drivers on four tires and and they're starting eleventh, and you can say, okay, go. You know, I think it's really cool to see. Um, but another change was made to the sprint showdown. Uh, the sprint showdown has now has three segments instead of two. Last year and the years prior, we saw two segments, um, and a driver was taken from each segment. Where you had a, a two twenty lap segment, two, and a one twenty lap segment, and a twenty lap segment, and the winner of each segments were taken to the all star race. Now we're gonna have three, and three drivers are gonna be to, have a chance to race their way in to the all star race. Uh, 20 lap segment, the field will be set by practice speeds. Winner advances into the NASCAR Sprint All-Star Race, but will not continue in the showdown. Um, and then there will be a pit stop, and the second lap segment will be 20 laps. field will be set by pit road order after a mandatory two-tire pit stop. The winner of that segment advances into the Sprint All-Star Race, does not continue in the showdown. And then, of course, there's a, a third segment, which this is new. Field will be set by uh, pit road and after a mandatory two-tire pit stop. Winner will advance to the Sprint All-Star Race. So instead of three drivers, including the fan vote, there's now four drivers, including the fan vote, going into the All-Star Race from the Sprint Showdown on May 20th. So a 50-lap segment, really a 50-lap race in the Sprint Showdown, three segments, winner of each segment moves on to the All-Star Race. Uh, your thoughts on, on the new changes to the Sprint Showdown? I think it's going to add a little drama. It's going to give somebody else one more chance to get there. I mean, there's 30 drivers eligible for the fan vote. And I don't know how many of them are actually going to get a shot at it. I mean, heck, Brian Vickers, the last I saw, was in the top five in the fan vote. He doesn't have a car to drive. Yeah. But, Not yet, at least. <clears throat> yeah, and I don't know if he's going to get one. Because, I mean, right now you see everybody listed with a number, and then the one person without one, Brian Vickers. I think, <clears throat> again, the all-star race, I think, may have run its course the same way the Bud Shootout or whatever the hell we're calling it this week I think those two races may have run their course. I don't know what added benefit it brings. I don't know other than they throw a million bucks out there, TV gets some money out of it, they get more people into Charlotte, more more hot dogs, more beer sold. But I don't really see the benefit to the team. Uh, if you're a David Reagan or something like that, someone like that, and you're running on a tight budget, what does the all-star race do to help you? Because there's a pretty good shot. You're either going to run toward the back, and you may get some testing in to find out how you do, or you're caught up in something. And that may be the car you're planning to run next week because you only have a limited number of cars in your stable. Mm. I really don't know what the showdown does. I think it's well, nice to give somebody a chance, but if you're in this race, should you be in the all-star race? <laughs> yeah, especially it's, because it, you're an all-star or you're not. There's, there's. If you look at the way it works, it's like picking, the, like the Pro Bowl. You're picking the seventh alternate quarterback and say, "Good luck. You're starting on the pole of the all-star race, even though your best finish in your life is 25th." Good <laughs> luck. Have at it. I don't <laughs> think seven. it really adds anything to it. I think just let the winners have their thing. And let them go. It's sort of like the shootout at Daytona. There's only so many get there. They don't get a every. I mean, it's only so many get to race. Good luck at it. Sorry you didn't make it. Win a race. You get in next year. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero is the number to call in. Um, it's funny, and and I think a lot of people would agree with that. I think three to me when I originally read three, I was like, whoa, that's a lot of drivers. I'm not in love with uh, three drivers. Um, Advancing, you know, and it's not unheard of. I mean, back in the 1990s, we had five drivers, the top five from the showdown, uh, Winston Open back then advanced. I wasn't in love with that either, but I thought two was a pretty good number plus the fan vote. You could live with that. Three, I think, is a little excessive, excessive. But um, you know, I'm not totally against this race, but I would like to see a little bit of a different format to where maybe you can give somebody a, a shot, like you said, where you say, well, you know, uh, David Reagan get up there, where you know you kind of make it interesting, where you say, okay. You can take a two-tire, four-tire stop on that three-lap segment with 10 to go instead of a mandatory two-tire stop. Um, you could do, do either a two- or four-tire and make it a little interesting with 10 to go where somebody might gain some track position there. Or you could stay out. You don't have to pit, yada, 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 uh, stuff like that. So I think that would be kind of interesting to see that. But uh, So maybe a little bit of a tweak to the format for the showdown. But, um, yeah, definitely a, a race. I thought I think three might be just a little bit too much. They added 10 laps to the race. I wonder if that's because they, they added 
this event before the Truck Series race on a Friday. You know, this race used to be prior to the Sprint All-Star race, if you remember, forever and ever. And I think what was happening was these drivers in, in the Sprint Showdown were having an advantage because they ran on the track 40 laps prior to the All-Star race, and they'd get in there, and they'd really run good. Remember, Casey Kane won the Sprint Showdown, went in there and beat everybody's brains in the All-Star race. And uh, I think that was when everybody realized there was kind of a problem with these drivers who weren't even all-stars advancing into the race and winning the race because they were on the track earlier. So this takes that advantage away by putting them on a Friday. But what happens is they're trying to make it a little bit of an event before the truck series race. It gives the fans, they might charge you a little bit more now because they give you extra 10 laps. So I think that's something to keep in mind there as well, where maybe Charlotte said, let's keep it up, let's boost it up another 10 laps here. But I think that could definitely be tweaked on. I would like to see a little bit of a, of a where the pit stops could be tweaked on there at Charlotte for the sprint show. That I think would make it really interesting with 10 to go. You know, um, I wouldn't be uh, totally against eliminations in that race either, where if you're in the top 20 in the field, you get, you know, if you're, let's say you cut down to 15 for the, last, for the second to last segment, then you cut down to 10 for the last segment and then make them a pit stop. I wouldn't be totally against that either. Uh, and I can live with that one. That's one of the, I can live with that. If you're hanging out, the, if you're in the back of the field and you don't make it through the first 20 into the top 10, thanks for playing drive carefully, go home. Yeah, I think that would be something that would be really interesting. And then have something where you could do like a, a pit stop where say, okay, you know, there's only 10 drivers on the field. There's going to be 10 to go. You can come in and get tires or you can't come in and get tires. And that would make it interesting, I think, for the fans for the final 10 laps, for the sprint showdown at least. I think it would be cool because, like you said, you don't want to see people get torn up there. In that last segment, I think you have the potential to see that. Um, and I think one of the, as we're going in, as the last thing on that one is the first I – mean, Mikey Waltrip's first win was the All-Star race. Mm-hmm. So he's 0 for 400 and something, <laughs> and he wins the All-Star race. So now he's an All-Star. It's like, no, he hasn't won, but he's he won the All-Star race, so he's an All-Star. It's like either you're – you deserve to be there, or you don't. I think the at building up and adding more and adding more, yeah, it brings more money in, but I don't see the purpose of it. Yeah, it's and you know it's it's to me like you know I think this year is going to be very interesting because you have Chase Elliott who's not available because of that twenty four car, which to me um, I, they've made it important toward a driver. I used to like how they used to do it with the teams, where if your team won in the last. Uh, year calendar year where it was a calendar year where basically you had from May to May to win a race and if you didn't do it you weren't in the All Star race but your team could be eligible. For example, I remember when Dave Mater the third ran an All Star race in 1992 because the Bill Elliott won a 91 in July at Daytona and at 19 that Dave Mater was running for had won in Daytona in July and they put him in because of that. I'd like to see that and I think that's why Chase Elliott should be eligible this year for that 20 for the 24 car. Because I think that team should be awarded, and Alan Gustafson and all those guys who worked on that team, I think they should be rewarded by an all-star race. Uh, but it's going to be interesting. There's a lot of drivers, I think. Ryan Blaney's a guy who you look at and you say, well, that's a guy who could definitely advance. Ricky Stenhouse Jr.'s had a good year. Trevor Baines had a pretty good year in a mile and a half. Uh, Greg Biffle's shown his strength in a mile and a half in years past. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that all works out here in the sprint showdown. Um, Couple, one more topic here, John, before we go on to, to, to preview Dover here. Uh, and I saw one today, and I just want to get your take on, on any of the schemes that you really thought that were really nice. Southern 500 paint schemes. Um, I'm not really big into paint schemes, but this is a great event. And I saw one today, the Casey Mears one with Smokey Eunuch. That was phenomenal today. Uh, there's been a lot of cool paint schemes. I like the, the Darrell Waltrip, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. one. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. But what's your favorite paint scheme so far, and what's one you hope that you would like to see here as we move on here? I know, uh, you know, for example, the Motorsports Group is doing one from Michael Waltrip's car from the Country Time scheme back in the 80s. So that's another team that's going to have a throwback scheme. So it's kind of a cool deal, but what's your favorite Southern 500 scheme before we move on to Dover? <clears throat> My favorite one right now is Harvick doing the Cale Yarborough 1979 Daytona 500 paint scheme. Yeah. I love junior johnson whenever whenever junior johnson had a car on the track he always knew he had a chance to win and when kale yarborough and daryl was driving that number 11 car it was always fast and always cool to see and seeing that 1979 scheme on harvick is phenomenal the one i would love to see is the number 14 be orange home depot colors if you're going to go your farewell song 
there is your ultimate throwback to your first paint scheme whenever he was driving for Joe Gibbs. I think that would be cool as heck to be. I thought I think that would be phenomenal. I like Stenhouse's uh, Valvoline colors that he's doing on the. Yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry, Trevor Bain's Valvoline That's colors he's doing yeah. on the six car. Um, as a tribute to Mark Martin and what he did for uh, Roush Racing. And if there was a car I'd rather see in the Roush colors, I'd rather see the Folgers car because that was the original or the Stroh's light colors that they did with Mark <laughs> Martin whenever they first came in. Yeah. But I think the Harvick one for the 79, I like the Valvoline scheme. I like the Grey Ghost scheme that Junior's doing with Buddy Baker. I really like the Smokey Unix uh scheme that Casey Mears is doing, but I would really, really, really like to see Tony Stewart in Home Depot Orange for the or for Darlington. Yeah, it'd be a lot of fun to see. I, I got one, and uh, it's not. I don't think it'd be too hard to do for this organization, and it's one that, you know, growing up to me was was a an iconic, iconic um, scheme, and that was the, the number five. I would like to see, and I know they. I don't know if they're a part of Hendrick Motorsports anymore, but. Or, or you could kind of tra- change the color schemes around for a sponsor, but Terry Labonte Kellogg's cornflake scheme. Uh, we saw kind of the 32 card did it with Terry Labonte's last race a couple of years ago, but it wasn't the full-on full scheme. I would like to see that come back. I think that'd be great. Uh, there's so many schemes. I mean, I, I, you, you can go on and on and on about those schemes we'd like to see, but uh, it's very cool. You know, you said you mentioned the, the 79 Bush beer throwback for the Daytona 500 for. Uh, Kelly Yarbrough's scheme, which Kevin Harvick's going to run, Dale, Dale Jr.'s scheme for Buddy Baker, all those are really good. And there's going to be more to come. Uh, the 47 car with Rich Hill was uh, was great to see as well. So uh, a lot of a lot of cool schemes there, and we'll keep an eye on that as well. Okay. We're oh, also the that. seven uh, the seven Alan Kowicki Alan Kowicki theme that they're doing with uh, the Nyko Road Rippers. I think that's cool looking. That it looks almost like the Hooters cars. Too bad. Tommy Baldwin just couldn't call up Hooters and say, hey, uh, you want to do one race with us? We'll even throw it on there for you. That would be cool. Yeah, it would have been cool. Uh, Road Rippers is, is, I mean, to me that's what's part of the great part about this is these sponsors are understanding as well, like Advocare, and they're saying, okay, we'll change your paint scheme up just for the good of the sport. I think that's great to see because you don't see sponsors do that much, and I think um, a lot of the sport is kind of, uh, what hurts the sport a lot is the fact that these drivers are, kind of polished because of the sponsors, so it's good to see the sponsors sort of give back to the fans here at, at the Southern 500 and let the schemes kind of go the way they'd go, including that Road Rippers included in that, where they kind of sit there and say, yeah, we'll take a, you know, that's not our paint scheme, that's not really our colors, but sure, we'll do that for Alan Kowicki, that sounds cool. So uh, I think it's a very good thought here. Um, we're moving to Dover. Uh, great. I, I like this racetrack. It's one of my hometown tracks, so I'm a little biased. But I like this track. I think it's a, it's a different track, uh, mile long, high banks, fast race track. Uh, your thoughts? On what we're going to see at Dover and, and pick a winner before we sign out here, John? Well, it's self cleaning. That's one of the things you you can guarantee with it. But until somebody proves them wrong, I got to go with the 48 at Dover. I mean, Jimmy Johnson has been phenomenal there, but like we've seen all year. Don't count out a Gibbs car, but I could see Johnson winning this one just because of how good they are there. Yeah, I mean, that team, I, I think he's won or been up in the front for virtually every Dover race for the last five, six years. I mean, he's been fantastic there. It's a, it's a, it's a chase race. They always like to run good at Dover, make sure their stuff's good for Dover. Um, this used to be a Roush track. I remember when, when in, the, in the mid-2000s, this track used to be a Roush track, and I'd be interested to see Roush Fenway because this is a track that's sort of in between. They ran okay on some of the short tracks. They've run okay on, on a mile and a half. We've seen them struggle at times as well. Will, will they run good there this weekend as well? Tony Stewart, like I mentioned, John, this was his last win here a couple of years ago. Um, so will we see something from there? Kevin Harvick runs well at Dover as well. Um, so Kyle Busch has won here in the past. So a lot of a lot, it's gonna be, I think, a very competitive race and very interesting to see when these cars come off the truck, who's fast and who's not. I think when it comes to Stewart, this is going to be his test of how good his back is because of the uh-huh. G forces they pull at Dover. This will be the one to see how healthy he is. 
if he's respectable, I don't see – I mean, when Stewart won that race three years ago, he wasn't the best car all day. He was the best car the last five laps. He was a 10th-place car most of the day. Pitt strategy got him up there. Johnson jumped a restart, and then Stewart snookered Montoya to get past him and drove away. I don't think Stewart – this isn't the race Stewart wins, but this is the one that will test to see how well he's doing. I agree with you, John, there. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Talking Circles. We'll see you next weekend. Good night, everybody.